You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Well, good morning, everybody. How many of you are warmer now than you were a few moments ago? We made about, well, we get here about 7, 7.15 in the morning. Well, I get here about 6.15, and I sit in my truck and go through my message, and everybody begins to trickle in. But when I got halfway from my truck in the parking lot to the front door, I thought my ears are falling off this morning. It is cold. This is our family Sunday. I want to take an opportunity for everybody that works in our mids, children's, preschool, and nursery, if you all would stand. All right, let me tell you the prop for these guys. Let me tell you a little bit about something these guys do. They show up every Sunday at about 8 o'clock and begin to set up their areas and their zones. And then they sacrifice. We, get, we gather together as volunteers about 9, 10 on a Sunday. And I give a brief mini message. We share communion together, worship together, and then they go serve which means Sunday after Sunday, they don't get to be in here for worship because they're teaching our kids. And so I am so grateful for them. Sarah has been hired as our part-time children's uh, leader for Medina. She will be here week in and week out teaching your kids, loving your kids, and you saw her spirit as she was up here this morning. She has a gift that you guys can sit. She has a gift that I don't see many people have. She can sing and smile at the same time. <laughs> amazing, amazing gift. So we welcome her. Let's give her a hand. Glad she's here. And if you don't know, I am Jeff. I am the campus pastor here. Those of you, some of you I can tell are first time even today. I am here speaking 90% of the time, 90% of the time. And if a crisis strikes within this group, this church, I will be the one to respond to that. I'll be the one to care for your family, uh, pray over you, take care of you, along with our eldership who are the leaders of Northside Christian Church. And we have two of those guys in here. Uh, at least I thought, well, Chris disappeared. Ken, if you'd stand, and Chris went to take care of the money, uh, but these guys are the leaders uh, of Northside. So anytime you have any questions, anything you're wondering about what we're all about, where we're headed, see me, see Ken, or any of the volunteers you see in the hallway, uh, they're all prepared to answer those things. Remember the prayer that circulated several years ago? I loved it. It said, Lord... I've done pretty good today. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't spoken harshly to my wife. I haven't lost control with my language. In fact, God, I've even been okay with my employees today. But Lord, I'm actually about to get out of bed. So would you please help me through this day? Today we're going to look at another dangerous lie with some serious consequences. 
And right off the bat, I'll tell you there's some strong content in this, uh, meaning it's going to be sincere and real, much like last week was. And so I want to start out a little bit light, a little bit funny activity. I want you to look at the person on your left, look at the person on your right, look at the person in front of you, look at the people behind you, and on the count of three, I want you to point to who you think is the biggest sinner. All right? On the count of three, I want you to point to who you think is the biggest sinner. One, two, three. Wow. Wow. A bunch of you either don't want to get in trouble or you understand where this is going. All right? If you point into yourself, you get it. You get it. Because all of us, in reality, are sinners. And the reality is also that in our culture today, it's not really acceptable to point out someone else's sin. We're frowned upon if we do that. And that leads to the lie that says, it doesn't matter what you do as long as no one gets hurt. It doesn't matter what you do, how you live, as long as no one gets hurt. God never said that. This common misbelief comes out of one key word, and that word is tolerance. How many of you have seen that word on bumper stickers lately? I saw it just this past week when I was driving uh, through Fairlawn. Tolerance. What's interesting about that word is it used to mean all people have equal value. Webster now defines it as a willingness to accept feelings, habits, or beliefs that are different than your own. The difference now is intolerance no longer deals with people, but it deals with behaviors. And there's a big difference. As a Christian, I'm considered intolerant if I tell you your lifestyle is wrong. As a Christian, I'm considered intolerant if I point out anything that you're doing in your life that is sinful. And what has happened is our society and many churches have watered down what Jesus considered to be sin and given those actions which were sinful even new names so that they don't seem as harmful. For instance, in the category of sin, uh, sexual sin, many people don't say someone has committed adultery anymore. That kind of sounds like a crime. They'll say they had an affair. A whole lot easier to take. Others will say, you know, they're not looking at pornography. Instead, they're viewing adult, what? Entertainment. Lesh harsh. Premarital sex is now not really considered a sin anymore. It's just referred to as fooling around or hooking up. No big deal. Those things that were once considered really sinful and really harsh to talk about, the title was changed, so it just smooths it over. The cultural lie, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. So buzz off. Let me live my life as I want to. As long as I don't hurt you, I should be fine. 
Truth is, sin is real, and it has very real consequences. I want to give you two common myths on the way that sin tricks us into thinking that we're okay. And then hang with me through those myths, because there's one big truth at the end that changes everything. So as we go through these myths, remember, there's a truth that changes everything. First myth, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. Don't want to burst your bubble, but you are. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a bad person. All right? I'm a bad person. We all are bad people. All right? 1 John 1.8, John says, if you claim to be without sin, in other words, if we say we're not a bad person, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Romans 3.23 kind of levels the playing field in the world. Every person on the planet, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not some, not most people have. Everybody who is breathing on the planet has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I love the quote that says, if the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. That's why those of you that went, get it. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. Satan is crafty. He is a master at deception. And the biggest area of deception that he will play with us to make us think, well, we're really not that bad of a person, is the comparison game. You know, I can look at myself and my life, and I can always find someone else who is worse than I am. Did you hear what he did last night? Did you hear what she said last week? Did you look at the way they're living their life? But here's the key. We are not to compare ourselves with other people. We, as believers, are to compare ourselves with a holy God. And when you compare yourself with a holy God, with Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, we just don't measure up there. There's no comparison. Prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 64, 6, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our unrighteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sin is swept away. Paul teaches this in Romans 3.10. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. You're not righteous. I'm not righteous. No one's righteous. Now, let me pause here and say again, Welcome to Northside, where we try to make you feel better about yourself, right? Then, man, why did I come to hear this? We're not really here to make you feel better about yourself. Our goal, you'll see it printed everywhere, is that we might learn to love God, serve others, and win one. Become a disciple who makes disciples. But there's no way to do any of that, to even begin to love God, until we realize the condition that we are in. And we are separate 
from a holy God? Now, there's an answer. We'll get to that. But we have to realize who we are. Second myth. Since I've already done it, I might as well keep on doing it. (laughs) Since I've already done it, what's the hurt? What's wrong with that? Well, God never said that either. It's an easy lie to believe, easy trap to fall into. Let me give you some examples of this. Since I've already tried drugs and I haven't hurt anyone else, really haven't hurt myself and no one knows about it, why don't I just keep on trying drugs? Since I already cheated and I passed that test and no one found out that I cheated on that test, well, I'll cheat on the next test. Since I've already been unfaithful to my spouse and no one found out about it or I've been unfaithful and my marriage is over, what's it hurt to keep on doing it and keep on keeping on and repeating it? That myth, that sin isn't new. The first Christians dealt with the same struggle and Paul shares to some Young believers, he poses an excellent question. Many of you probably heard it before, but here it is from Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, why don't we just keep on keeping on? Keep on sinning because God's going to forgive us anyway. Why should we have to stop? And Paul responds to that crazy statement by saying, by no means. Gnomai, me, gnomai. Translated in the Greek, Paul says, may it never be. May it never be. Should we keep on sinning because we know God's going to forgive us anyway? Should we keep on sinning because we know we can repent later? Paul says, absolutely not. By no means, since we died to sin, we can't live in that anymore. As a Christian, if we believe in that lie and we keep on sinning, then it reveals a huge lack of spiritual maturity in us. Here's the deal. Spiritual maturity is not about how much we know. It's about how much we obey. Spiritual maturity is not about how much we know. It's about how much we obey. How much fruit is coming out of our life by the Holy Spirit living and moving through us. The problem is that many Christians today are educated beyond their level of obedience, myself included. Myself included. One of the biggest frustrations I have, just a side note that we won't go down, but I've got to hit it because I've thought about it all week. There are many over the years, so many people I've heard say, well, I'm leaving the church, I'm leaving this church, I'm leaving that church, I'm leaving Northside because I'm not growing, I'm not getting fed anymore, they're not preaching deep enough. That's that's evidence of a lack of spiritual maturity 
because we know more than we need to know, but how is the fruit being produced in your life? What are you doing with what you already know? Huge, huge when it comes to our growth. Pastor John Weiss explains the pattern of sin this way. He says it it tracks like this. For sin, it is minimization leads to normalization, which leads to celebration. Crazy words, but read that with me. Minimization leads to... One more time. Minimization... How's that play out? Again, let's take pornography, for instance. First time new pictures came out into the public, there was a big shock. Christians couldn't believe it, went against it, but the longer it came out and the more it was looked at across society, it became, oh, it's no big deal. It's just adult entertainment. We minimized the sin. Next, we normalized it. What started as a magazine then led to a multi-billion dollar industry where at the push of a button, through technology, through internet, pornography is available for everyone, everywhere, at any time. So again, it's no big deal. Normalization then leads to celebration. As a result, it becomes a billion dollar industry in the world. Adult entertainment. Australia is experimenting with a seven-year trial marriage. You have seven years, no paperwork, no fines. If it doesn't work out, you're out of it. Just try it for seven years and see how it goes. You say, man, that's horrible. America isn't that far behind. If you're like me, you've been amazed at where our country where the world has gone. Minimization leads to normalization that leads to celebration. That's the track. And that's not God's desire. That's not the trick that God wants us to fall or the trap God wants us to fall into. It doesn't matter what you do, how you live. It most certainly does. There's a consequence to sin, and that consequence is eternal death and separation from God. So what's the solution? What's the answer? What's the way out? Well, here's the big truth that changes everything. The truth is there is more grace in God than sin in people. Say it with me. There is more grace in God than sin. Paul speaks in Romans. Yes, that's, that's a good thing, all right? That's a good thing for all of us and everybody, again, that's breathing in the world. Romans 5, 20 and 21, the law was brought so that the trespass might increase. But get this, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where there is sin, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin is strong, grace is even stronger. 
There is more grace than there is sin in people. Grace is greater than all your sins. Track it with me. Grace is greater than lust. Grace is greater than pride. Grace is greater than fear. Grace is greater than lies. Grace is greater than addiction. Grace is greater than anger. Grace is greater than hate. Grace is greater than you fill in the blank. God's grace is greater than any sin that exists. Started out this morning by reading 1 John 1.8, which said, if you claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Don't be deceived. We are full of sin. So what do we do about it? Immediately after that, in 1 John 1.9, John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So listen to me close. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care how you came in here this morning. I don't care who we would fall in contact with on the street or what sin they have committed. There is grace that is greater through the blood of Jesus Christ, and there is a way out for everyone through the grace of God. Let me help you. Oh, Titus 2.11, let me read that before I wrap this up. For the grace of God has, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Again, all people. This idea of grace, it, it's tough to comprehend, it's tough to understand. Uh, I don't think any of us understand it totally and how deep and how wide God's grace is. When I say that, even when we get to heaven, I think when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of people walking around going like this. I didn't think you'd be here. No way I thought you'd be here. You're here? No way. Because as much as we try to humanly understand, we will never be able to understand the grace of God. How wide how deep, how high. And it takes us in all life situations. This cup, for example. This empty cup. Imagine this cup represents a weakness or a struggle in your life. Falling short of what God would want you to be. And you walk over and you notice there's a hose. Hose coming out of this wall. You can't really see where the hose is coming from. You can't look around because you can't get around the wall. There's a spigot and you turn this hose on and water begins to flow representing God's grace. And you begin to fill up the cup. You wonder if there's going to be enough. It's a pretty big weakness. But sure enough, gradually and slowly, it fills it up and it shuts off. 
when it reaches the top of the cup. Well then, later on, you come back with a bucket. This time you need a little more grace. Things haven't been going good at work. You're discouraged with your family. Maybe your language has been out of control. This time you need grace. You try it. You don't know if it's going to be enough. Turn it on. And the water, God's grace begins to flow. Slowly and surely, it fills the bucket up to the top. And it shuts off. You're going through life and things seem to be okay. But you come back again. <laughs> this time you come back with a wheelbarrow. You found out about the affair, found out about the abuse. Your life, your, there's a big hole inside of you. You've gone back to that familiar sin. You've totally lost control of your attitude. It, it's much worse than it was before. You come back with a wheelbarrow and you think, man, there's just no way. You don't ever fill that wheelbarrow up. You turn the water on and God's grace begins to flow. Gradually and slowly, it fills it up all the way to the top and it shuts off. God's filled you up one more time. God's given you his grace one more time. The next time you come back, the final time, you're driving a semi-truck. And attached to that semi-truck is a water tanker. And that water tanker is completely empty. You've blown it. You've let your family down. You've let your kids, your wife, your, your husband down because you've fallen into that sin that's bigger than all other sins. And most of all, you've let God down. Maybe the company that you sacrificed your whole life for is shutting down, and you don't know where you're going to go. You have come to an absolute end. You've hit rock bottom. And you pull up that semi with that water tanker that's empty, and you think there's no way, no way God can fill that. And yet you turn on the hose, and the hose, the water begins to flow. And it takes a long, long time this time. But eventually, the water goes to the top and it shuts off. And so your curiosity gets the best of you. Where in the world? What's the source? Where's this coming from? And again, you try to look behind the wall. You try to get around the wall. You can't. The wall is a metaphor too. You have to knock it down. It may have taken years for that wall to get there. 
but you have to bust it down by the power of God. And so you eventually bust that wall down. And when you bust the wall down, you can see it for miles and miles and miles. It's the ocean representing how deep, how wide, how long God's grace is. It never ends. It never ends. And so this morning as we talk about how nasty sin is and the trap that sin is, may I encourage you with this, back your truck up. Turn to the person next to you and say, go ahead, back your truck up. Back your truck up. Because no matter how great your sin is, God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater. At the bottom of your outline, at the bottom of your outline, it just says God's grace. It says grace has the greater than symbol. You fill in the blank. Back up your truck. Write it out. Whatever it is, write it down there. And allow God to fill it up. Cover it over with his grace and with his love. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Father, we thank you so much for being here this morning. God, I thank you for every life that's in this room, every heart that's in this room. And God, if there's someone in here this morning that has an empty cup, an empty bucket, an empty wheelbarrow, or someone, God, needs to back up the truck and they've got an empty water tank where their life just seems to be in an end. God, would you let them know that there is a truth, that God's grace is greater than any sin, any weakness, any shortcoming in their life. And God, if there's someone in here this morning that has never experienced your grace, God, may this be the day before they leave this building that they turn their life over to you, accept you as the forgiver and the giver of all life through your sacrifice for them on a cross. God, if they want to talk about that, allow them to hang and come up. God, I'd love to talk with them about that this morning. Father, right now, we lift this song to you, celebrating that your grace is greater than everything. You are the great I am. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing.